This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. There has been a wide array of news involving the finance sector in the last few days. All of this as the markets continue to see pretty big volume as well as gains or losses. There continues to be scrutiny of what the Federal Reserve will be doing this year. The Treasury Department is looking at new ways to deal with bankruptcy, especially when big banks may be involved so that there isn't things like a credit freeze. And there are other things as well. Joining us to discuss this with an update, we're joined in studio by Peter Conti-Brown, Assistant Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics here here at the Wharton School, and also on the phone with us is Dr. Lisa Cook, Associate Professor of Economics and International Relations at Michigan State University. Peter, as always, great seeing you. Always a pleasure. Lisa, great to talk to you again. Same here. So I I want to start with just kind of a, a general overview, because I think a lot of people within a lot of these ideas also want to get the sense of where a lot of people feel the U.S. economy is right now. Because obviously we've had this this run back from the recession. It feels like the economy is better. Uh, we obviously see the jobs numbers getting better. It feels like we're starting to see a little bit more wage growth in the in the country. When you look at from a, from a scholarly side the the economy right now, Peter, how do you view it? Well, you're asking the wrong guy in the sense that I'm a financial historian, so uh, periods of such um, peace, uh, low unemployment, and especially uh, growth of bank balance sheets, bank profitability, always have me keyed into thinking about the crash that would uh, would follow. Um, And that's not necessarily a prediction about uh, about it, but of course, uh, you know, financial systems and economies uh, cycle. So there are periods of expansion, there are periods of traction. And I think that what has a lot of people on edge is this increased volatility in the stock market. But as you look at things just right now and in the immediate uh, past, as opposed to thinking about speculations about the future, uh, what a time to be a bank, right? Yeah. Uh, what a time to uh, uh, to look at uh, at unemployment numbers and uh, and even inflation, even as it's ticking up. Uh, is just an extraordinary thing that inflation has been so low for so long. Uh, if if our if we're anchored to a fear of inflation, uh, and so this this period of, of really rather remarkable stability uh, is uh, is really something to behold. Lisa, so I I think that you were asking how consumers are feeling. Most of the indicators suggest that they are quite. Um, quite enthusiastic about the uh, economy by several different measures, whether you're looking at consumer sentiment or uh, current economic conditions or consumer expectations, uh, they're, 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 they're positive. The changes have been um, uh, positive since uh, January 2018, if we're looking at February 2018, since January 2018 and February 2017, uh, both positive increases. Some as high as expectations in 2007, or previous peaks in 2007, 2004, and 2000. So it seems as though consumers are certainly enthusiastic about the economy. But, of course, there's the puzzle. Uh, wage growth is not uh, tremendously high. You know, it's a little bit higher, but it's not it's not uh, increasing exponentially. So uh, the question is where this uh, enthusiasm is, is coming from. Certainly there's there's good news with respect to the unemployment rate uh, with the stabilization of the labor force 
a participation rate, uh, but certainly there's uh, there's uh, good news, and then there is uh, nervousness, there's anxiety as as well. Is there a concern uh, after all that happened during the? Uh, the, the recession and the issues surrounding banks, is there still a concern? And you, we're still doing the stress testing with, with the banks right now, Peter. But is there a, a concern that we could see another type of, of economic turmoil where there could be a bank failure at some point down the road? Oh, of course. Anyone who tells you otherwise is uh, is just, uh, that's just gobbledygook. Uh, we always are in a situation where, Banks can fail. I mean, it, it just is with any institution. If you ever imagine yourself in a world where there can be no such thing as failure, yeah, um, that's not a free market system, right? Uh, you, you've got to be able to have systems where, uh, where, where there will be failure. And the question is then, what do we do uh, in the event of failure? And Dodd-Frank is essentially trying to answer that question, right? The Dodd-Frank Act, its formal name is the Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act. Consumer protection side of it is the CFPB yeah. and related changes. When we think about Dodd-Frank, what it was trying to do is exactly that idea. How do we make sure banks can fail without bringing down the entire global financial system? And so that's that's what Dodd-Frank is about. That's what it's been criticized for. Um, uh, and indeed, that's what this week the Trump Treasury Department has, has come out and, and, and started to engage in that very question. Well, and I, I'll let you go into that deeper because I, in terms of the story itself, Steven Mnuchin and the Treasury Department come out, they're talking about making sure that that I guess to a degree we're limiting the potential impact if we do have a if we do have a bank failure correct yeah that's right I mean I think financial regulation uh, uh, is second only to the military and its enthusiasm for acronyms <laughs> okay. right and uh, <laughs> and the acronyms that dominate the financial regulation space can make it seem technical and obscure but there's nothing technical. I mean, there's a lot that's technical. There's nothing obscure about this idea of the orderly liquidation authority. This is Title II of Dodd-Frank. And what it was designed to do is make sure that Lehman Brothers couldn't happen again. Lehman Brothers went bankrupt. Yep. It's a, the, the technical uh, aspect of that is they had to file for bankruptcy in a bankruptcy court. And the panic associated with it was, in a word, the financial crisis, right? It just froze credit markets. It made people wonder who's next, what's next, and that has profound consequences for Wall Street and Main Street alike. What Dodd-Frank did is create the system saying, "What you know what, we're going to make bankruptcy the first line of defense. We're going to say uh, now that if Lehman Brothers is going to be headed toward bankruptcy, they've got a plan on file with their regulators that they constantly update. This is called the, the living will. And only in the event that we've decided that the living will can't work, it's just going to be too disorderly, it's going to be too much of a financial crisis, then we trigger this extra thing, and that's orderly liquidation. That's not to prop up failed banks, it's to wind them down, but to yeah. wind them down uh, uh, with participation from the Fed and the Treasury, and especially the, the FDIC, which does this for small banks all the time, um, that will do this in a way that, yeah, it's going to be disruptive, but it's not going to bring the entire house down screaming with it. Lisa? Yeah, I think uh, certainly, uh, as Peter uh, believes, there's there's a threat of of, of you know failure uh, in the financial system, and I wouldn't limit it to banks. So I think one of the things that we uh, worried about when I was in the White House was the unregulated sector, um, the shadow uh, banking system that 
uh, continues like hedge funds and, and so on that aren't uh, regulated in the same way and have many more resources uh, than they used to to have and many more uh, resources, significant resources relative to the uh, formal banking system. So there is definitely the uh, threat and uh, I think the Treasury Department is taking uh, taking the middle road while looking for alternatives, and I think that would be wise for, for Congress, too. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And, and uh, as I've said before, I think the attacks on, on Dodd-Frank are warranted in a very uh, narrow band, but, uh, but I think the, the OLA is certainly something that should stay, for example. Um, but uh, there are other parts, uh, especially related to small banks, that could be uh, modified. So in your mind, in part, it sounds like that where Dodd-Frank is concerned, there, there, there could be a few tweaks along the line. But, you know, it, as a whole, Dodd-Frank has done such good work that it has an unbelievable benefit to the finance sector moving forward. No, I think so. I think what is desperately needed and what desperately was needed was uh, coordination and information. One of the, uh, for me, one of the biggest benefits is one that you've already uh, mentioned, the stress tests. Um, make sure that the system is healthy enough to withstand uh, some sort of shock, a, a recession. Um, and the information that we're uh, collecting, that Treasury is collecting to make sure that the uh, the number of surprises is minimized. So yes, I I would say that the uh, the baby and the bathwater should be kept. Yes. One of the things that I, I guess Treasury is is proposing here in terms of, of bankruptcy code, they're talking about a, a, a an add on to a bankruptcy code. We we know Chapter Eleven, Chapter Seven. Yeah. They're talking about Peter a Chapter Fourteen, I guess. Yeah. Well, tell us what that is. So Chapter 14 uh, is uh, just going to be the bankruptcy uh, chapter for these systemically important financial institutions, right? So some critics of Dodd-Frank said, no, bankruptcy is adequate to address these problems. The problem wasn't Lehman's bankruptcy. The problem was the lack of a Bear Stearns bankruptcy. So it was the Fed saying, we're going to save Bear Stearns from bankruptcy, but then not Lehman. That right. was the critique. Right. What more people who have been critical of Dodd-Frank have said is, no, you know what, Lehman did show that the bankruptcy code is not adequate to respond to this. And so what we need is not to file for Chapter 7, right, which is a liquidation. That means yep. you just add up all the assets, you sell them off, and you give to creditors what our creditors what's, are what's due. What's left. Right. Um, we need a Chapter 14 that acknowledges that there are a lot of very complicated issues that deal that are unique to financial institutions that wouldn't be the case for an airline, for example. Enter Chapter 14. Um, you know, some of the leading uh, thinkers on this, including uh, University of Pennsylvania's own David Skeel, have said, well, let's take seriously the idea of things like derivatives, things like uh, margin requirements, counterparty risk, all the things that the bankruptcy code has carved out for financial institutions, and let's put them back in, but let's put them in uh, in a way that can, can deal with it. Um, and so some people are critical of this approach. My, my general thought is, you know, Dodd-Frank em embraces this. Yeah. Dodd-Frank says bankruptcy first, right? And that was a debate. Right. That right. was a debate at the time. Yeah. yeah. And so the idea of, of revamping the bankruptcy code so that bankruptcy first is more plausible strikes me as, uh, as very reasonable. Now, what the new Treasury report does, though, it says, okay, look, we're going to change the bankruptcy code, make it better, but we're keeping OLA. 
right? The orderly liquidation authority, Title yeah. II of Dodd-Frank. The very thing that so many Republicans have said and, and other critics have said is terrible about Dodd-Frank. The Trump administration is now saying what Lisa Cook just said, uh, which is, you know, let's let's keep it. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Lisa? No, I, I, I would just echo what, uh, what, what Peter is saying. I think Chapter 14... Um, you know, it's it, it's interesting. I used to study bankruptcy a lot more when I was working on the Russian banking system in the mid-1990s, and that's what I wrote my dissertation on. And it was just a big debate about you know, the possibility of, of, of bankruptcy and the lack of any, um, any possibilities for bankruptcy. Of course, you know, fir firms, uh, financial firms or otherwise, would not reform if there were not this uh, possibility, if there were no possibility of failure. So I saw the same kind of debate happening post-financial uh, crisis, and this is just one more piece of it. There has to be orderly uh, bankruptcy, orderly reorganization. And I, in, in that sense, I've em, em, I embrace the way this debate has gone, and I embrace the way this is uh, playing out. I embrace what uh, the Treasury Department has said uh, has said recently. Eight four four nine four two seven eight six six is the number to give us a call, or if you'd like, join us uh, via Twitter with a comment or a question at BizRadio one eleven or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney twenty one. Joined here in studio by Peter Conti Brown of the Wharton School, Dr. Lisa Cook of Michigan State University. One of the other things that has been making the news uh, is the winding down of the balance sheets mm -hmm. with the Federal Reserve. What is the time frame on that? What is the expectation on that? I mean, obviously they've started this process. What what should what should we expect from now on? So this is you know this is getting to one of the major uh, unconventional tools that the Fed deployed during the financial crisis, and that tool was to try and lower interest rates, not just in their their usual playground, right, the, uh, which is uh, at, uh, by by changing interest rates for short term governmental debt, but by saying okay, what are other ways that we can encourage people to uh, to spend more, get more yeah. money in the economy, get the the economy back on its feet again, and so. For a lot of legal reasons and and practical reasons, the, the conclusion was we're going to buy each month billions of dollars yeah. of mortgage-backed securities, and so that took a, a balance sheet for the Fed that was at about you know eight hundred billion dollars uh, before the crisis, and and uh, increased it by by half an order of magnitude, uh, all the way up to you know four point five uh, trillion, and so. Now, the question is, well, how do we get back to those good old days, right? <laughs> right and part right. of the reason for that is so that we can come back to the bad old days in the event of an emergency. You can't blow up a balance sheet that's a $4.5 trillion uh, to become you know, $20 trillion so easily. So the Fed is trying to engage in a process of, quote-unquote, normalization. And there are a lot of reasons for this, but uh, the primary one from where I sit is to make it so that the Fed has runway in the event of another recession, another financial crisis. And so the Fed has right. stopped this process. This is sometimes called quantitative easing. Yeah. That's a much broader term, uh, of course, so when we're talking about this, this balance sheet issue. The Fed, the first move was to stop, and this happened many years ago, to stop adding assets. Yeah. And then the second question is, and I think this is a really big part of Janet Yellen's legacy, is, all right, now what do we do? Right? Do we hold these assets to maturity? Do we destroy them? Uh, do we sell them? 
Uh, and if you sell $4.5 trillion of assets all at once, you can imagine what the consequences would be for the economy and the financial <laughs> system, and not good. A little bit of a challenge there. And so that's the process the Fed is engaging in, and Yellen, under Yellen's direction, they made the decision, you know, we're not going to actually hold these to maturity. We're going to start to unwind the balance sheet. And uh, she's done this in a way that is just extremely remarkable uh, from the perspective of both economics and, and just uh, sh- uh, straight-up political leadership. Uh, in that she had buy-in from basically the entire Federal Open Market Committee uh, and uh, and has just launched this in a slow but steady process. The question will now be, what will Jay Powell do? Yeah. What will the new Federal Open Market Committee uh, do? Uh, uh, there are a lot of people who think that this has got to go faster. A lot of people think this shouldn't happen at all. And so that's going to be that's going to be a big part of the debate. Lisa? So I think that, that yes, this slow, steady process is, is, is remarkable. I mean, the reduction of the, uh, the Fed balance sheet being on autopilot has, has just been, um, has just been, been uh, you know, evolving in an astonishingly uh, good way. Um, but, you know, the question, I think, is that we are not sure still how this ammunition that we've used in the past will act in the next uh, downturn. And just, you know, given uh, historical statistical realities, there's there's uh, still a downturn uh, coming. Uh, we certainly don't know when it is. But, you know, the if interest rates won't be high enough possibly for that tool to be uh, useful um, because if, if the – rate increases evolve as planned uh, two, three, uh, four this year, four possibly this year, um, this may not be a tool that's uh, available. And certainly the uncertainty or some uncertainty has come with the passage of uh, this very large tax bill. We typically would not think that uh, in full employment such fiscal stimulus would be advised. Uh, so, uh, so we have we have a lot of waiting and seeing to do. Three rate increases or four, you believe, for for the Fed this year, Lisa? Uh, uh, I think that, I think that you know four is being um, four four rate increases um, could be a possibility, and certainly that's hmm. being discussed. Uh, but three is what has been uh, signaled. Um, again, it really depends on. Uh, the the data and the statement from the Fed today, released today uh, ahead of the congressional hearing next week, um, suggests, again, sort of seeing what's happening in the economy and reacting uh, appropriately. And their, their hope, I guess, uh, hope in general is that uh, markets won't be uh, rolled by this and uh, that uh, things will go as 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 smoothly uh, as they've gone in the past. Great having uh, you uh, on the phone with us, Lisa, today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Peter. As always, great seeing you. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Peter Connie Brown of the Wharton School, Dr. Lisa Cook of Michigan State. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.